New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain. Today, we're sharing an episode recorded on the Clubhouse social audio platform with Mark Rees, the Chief Technology Officer at Zero. Mark shares insights from his journey at Zero, including a multi-year technology pivot, the role of artificial intelligence, plus learnings and insights from the current time of COVID-19, including a flip in the brain drain that we've grown used to here in New Zealand. All right, without further ado, let's jump straight in. Well, let's uh, let's get underway. Great to be able to kick off another pop-up session here on the Clubhouse platform and to be able to share it not only to uh, those that are in the room who, who might well get some extra extra snippets that uh, that might not appear on the podcast, but also for it to be made available to our podcast audience as well. So without further ado, let's, uh, let's jump in. Uh, Mark Rees, uh, welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Yeah, hi Paul. Thanks for having me. It's great to great to be able to talk to you a little bit about zero and technology. So um, thanks for the invite. Yeah, look, it's it's a real privilege to have you joining us. Now, uh, you know, you've got a, a fairly uh, long career within uh, the the tech sector, um, but tell us a little bit about your your introduction, how you came to be at zero, and you know how or what your role is today, what that looks like. Yeah, so um, I like, like like many New Zealanders, I went to university in New Zealand, and then I worked overseas for about six or seven years um, in London, and then I came back to New Zealand, and I spent um, around eight years working for Microsoft New Zealand um, as the there was a national technology officer role uh, there, and I, I really enjoyed that. It's a great company to work with. Then I reached kind of the point in my career there where it was a choice between you know, leaving Microsoft or going and, uh, you know, moving to Redmond to work in the product team. And I decided I wanted to stay here and I had a bunch of connections with Zero, And so the chance to work on a sort of global, you know, burgeoning multinational tech company, um, but in Wellington was one I just couldn't turn up. So I moved across uh, to Zero. That was about seven years ago. And I've been, uh, I had, I had an, a break and worked for Trade Me for a year, but I've been pretty much Zero for that, those seven years. So I'm, I'm the chief technology officer, lead the technology team, unsurprisingly, and that's it's quite a broad remit. So it's it's kind of leadership of engineering, technology strategy, and architecture, security, um, a cool platform, um, and sort of internal IT sort of CIO function as well. So really interesting, really kind of fascinating set of problems we get to work on. Fantastic. And in, in terms of the highlights over your time at Zero, I mean, there's there's constant change, right? It's the nature of the, the field we're yeah. in. Um, Zero is a very fast-growing um, business and uh, historically, and, and I believe continues to be so. Um, um, but, you know, you have to make changes like others. And now that you're a, you're, you know, a really large, um, you know, tech company, those changes, I'm sure, are, uh, you know, probably a lot more challenging you know that we we hear this sort of you know terminology talked about about trying to you know build a plane while it's flying and 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 so on um you know what's uh, what's the what are the highlights there during uh, during your time so far yeah i mean like the one the sort of the background challenge of zero is that the growth is still kind of uh, relentless is that you know just every year you have to rethink 
your approach and the way you work because because things change so quickly with the scale it means the approach that you took last year um really won't you know won't work as well as it did you know you have to kind of reinvent the way you lead and the way you organize teams and the way those teams operate kind of um you know periodically because of the change so that's kind of the background story to it i think there's a couple of big highlights one is i started working on our migration to amazon web services pretty much straight after I joined um, Xero. And that, so that was, I led that project for the first sort of two or three years that I was at Xero. That's a, um, that's a that, large chunk of time, Mark. Maybe you can give a little bit of background on what you were migrating you know, from yeah. and why that was such a, a big scale project. Yeah, it was scaling is, it's really hard to look into the future and know when you're gonna hit a kind of a turning point where you have to make some radical change. But we, we did a bunch of work and we, we it became clear to us that the, the hosting approach and architecture we had was not going to get us past a million users, um, and so we had to we had to look at how we're going to change um, our approach pretty significantly. And you know, cloud was maturing um, pretty rapidly at, this, at that time, and so we decided that um, moving from our Rackspace platform, which is effectively a managed service and a data center, onto Amazon Web Services was a key pathway to us. Um, scaling and preparing to be globally scaled. So it was a it was a pretty much into in a three three year piece of work, and you can break it down into to a few key streams. The first is the zero application. It um, was built uh, quickly by a small team and focused on product market fit because and that's that's clearly the right thing to do for a, a startup. You know, you want to quickly test your market and build features that are valuable to customers um, and, and as part of that it got quite um, quite tightly coupled to the to the infrastructure so it became really dependent on the big sands that um, we were using so we had to make quite a bit of um, detailed application change to get it ready for a cloud architecture um, so that was that was one big stream of work and the next stream was um, building out the infrastructure. So Amazon's a great platform, but it doesn't provide you everything you need. So particularly in, in say, particularly at that time in, in realms like security. So we had to design our architecture, source a whole bunch of third parties. That was that, that was another sort of big stream of work. And the final one was migration. You know, because as you said, um, the flying, the plane while changing analogy, analogy, we're providing this platform globally customers around the world and we got and they depend on it because it's their accounting platform so we have to migrate um you know those customers across um without disrupting the service so that was another um big stream of work and you clearly don't want to get um things wrong with accounting data so yeah that was the other stream of work and so they those that planning execution those phases of the work um, took us those three years, um, and it you know there's you know there's many Sunday mornings of kind of a hundred people in Wellington, Auckland offices working on the migration phase to get it across. That the actually one thing I really learned from that is that um, you know we, we went live um, it was a sigh of relief uh, you know to have that work done, but then you realise actually running a platform like Zero with our scale. Um, it's difficult, you know. Um, it's it's a complex piece to kind of work out how to manage and host and run it. And so, just there was another phase after we'd gone live and and relaxed, where we had to kind of learn how to operate at scale and change the way we worked. 
so you know I guess this this leads on to you know questions around uh, strategy and you know just how challenging it is in the technology uh, sphere but you know I guess generally just looking at how fast the world of business the world of technology changes uh, and you know you always having to make these decisions what is this process and and other things in your career um, you know taught you um, around making these big strategic decisions because you know clearly there was a point in time uh, earlier on where it was you know, AWS wasn't uh, you know picked um, and other vendors weren't picked and the fact that you had to go through that process you know clearly uh, you know put a put a big heavy um, you know burden on the business and these are things you know we have to make decisions sometimes you know on the fly all the time that may have some pretty big consequences you know one two five uh, ten years out and of course you can't get them uh, you can't you can't just know what the future is going to hold. All you can do is, you know, is take that longer term uh, view and make your best pick. Um, but have you got some learnings from that perspective that you can share? Yeah, I mean, I think um, that's a great observation. I, I mean, I, I like the Jeff Bezos kind of language that he uses around decisions where he, he, he breaks it down into two types of decision. You've got the one-way doors and, um, you know, like a migration of cloud platform is, is definitely a one-way door. Um, and then the two-way doors where, you know, you can um, you know you can make a decision and then you can quickly back out of it if you need to. And so you you, you need to approach those um, in quite different ways. Like the one-way doors, like a cloud migration, I think, you know, upfront planning and, and thinking hard and um, test you know t- testing with pilots and you know clear architecture and structure and stuff is really important. Um, there's actually not as many of those as as might seem. There's a whole class of um, decisions which those two-way doors where, you know, these are complex, complex systems, right? Especially when you include our customer base into it. And so you 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 have to sort of acknowledge that you won't get it right all the time. And you almost have to design that ability to test and learn um, into the system. And so we actually do a lot of work on our engineering system to enable those kind of two-way doors where we can especially with the product teams we can enable them to quickly build and deploy a solution to our customers test and learn about how they respond to it and then refine it over time so it's almost you have to at, at our scale you have to systematically build out that system that enables that experimentation approach and it's not something we have perfect but I think it's 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 really important to you know like you can there's some sets of things you just can try and think through but you kind of fool fool yourself if you think you get it get it right um, so just biasing towards now acknowledging that you're going to get it wrong and trying to adopt a test and learn approach I mean Amazon published a study on their product investment where they said that they only thought they got it right 30% of the time um, and I think Microsoft have acknowledged that as well. And so just building building that into the system and kind of biasing towards getting something out safely with customers, trying it, seeing how they're getting their feed from, feedback from it and then adapting is really important. And we try and do that with even even sort of infrastructure and, and you know, system change across our teams as well, that approach. 
Yeah, that, that's fascinating. The thirty percent, um, you know, percentage of getting it right—that's uh, somewhat mind blowing. Um, so, you know, it's it's great to have um, you know the big giants like AWS and and Microsoft, uh, you know, sharing that, that uh, those those sorts of uh, those sorts of insights. Now, there's there's been um, you know a lot of talk around COVID, you know, moving moving us forward, sort of you know, um, bringing a lot of Transformation, you know, years of transformation in in a, in a matter of weeks. Uh, I'm keen keen to hear, you know, your thoughts from you know your perspective as a as a chief technology officer, um, how that's played out um, within within your business as a you know as a, a technology company that was already moving at pace, already leveraging you know technology heavily, already with uh, you know people in you know a, a multitude of locations around the world, but those people. Obviously, having to um, you know, reposition themselves all to uh, to home, you know, for for large chunks of of the last uh, last twelve months or so. What does that look like? It's a, it's a fascinating question, um, Paul. And yeah, I think you could <laughs> we could probably fill a couple of podcasts talking about it because there's so <laughs> there's so much depth to it. Like, um, you know, on one level, um, you know, we we moved to fully remote, um, like many companies did, basically overnight. And and you know, that's three and a half thousand people around the world and that you know I think we had to upgrade a one bit of VPN infrastructure but apart from that because we're largely <coughs> excuse me largely based on cloud platforms already that went really well um, so that that was great I think um, it's really interesting as a kind of leadership um, as a study like I, I found that you know you know it's one of these moments as a leader that you really need to step up and be present with everyone because it's such a challenging environment and kind of one thing I learned is I kind of defaulted to trying to connect with my teams a lot and that's great but it also has a consequence that there ends up being a lot of connection meetings and and so I think it it created to that sort of um, Google Hangout spam that everyone experienced where there's just your day is filled with meeting after meeting and it's almost counterproductive in terms of the you know the cost of all those um, those meetings so that was a that was an interesting learning I think that interesting thing for us right is that you know you know, we're a pretty contemporary company, but you do you do have um, a set of assumptions in your head about the best way to work. And I think COVID has really challenged us to revisit those and rethink those. So we we were we, we quite spread out. We have engineering centres in Wellington, Auckland, um, Melbourne, you know, Denver, Toronto, um, and a bit of New York as well, plus a few so quite quite a few locations. But it was largely office based. You know, sort of teams in office working, and I think we really have found that. Um, you know, you read about a bunch of companies that have gone remote, um, and and you know, driven great results out of it. Um, and COVID's really pushed us to kind of move quite a lot further down that path to remote teams and kind of um, explore remote ways of working. We we have a great culture. It's a, it's one of the things we pride ourselves on. So just experimenting with ways to kind of ensure that you maintain that um, is really is really interesting. I think the other thing is, um, you know, we've been hiring a lot um, during COVID. I think um, somewhere around 300 roles in product and technology. And it's been a great a great time to hire in New Zealand and Australia. Um, sort of the brain gain effect where you have really talented New Zealanders and Australians coming back from overseas um, to 
um, to New Zealand and Australia um, because of COVID, and it's meant that we have been able to hire some really talented people. I think, um, you know, my seven years at Zero, we've never been able to hire a quota of designers, product designers, but this um, with COVID is the first time we've been able to do that, which is which is really great, and it's, you know, it's really um, we can feel the kind of acceleration because of that. So that's uh, a really interesting sort of, um, I suppose, somewhat unexpected for me consequence of COVID. Right. So you're you're talking about how we've we've seen uh, people returning to New Zealand, Australia, you know, places where COVID has been, um, you know, very minimal compared to yeah. other places in the world where they, they've been living. So uh, you get that opportunity to to tap yeah. into yeah what what's been referred to as that that brain gain rather than the the brain drain. I guess uh, places like New Zealand are, are used to where sometimes the best and brightest uh, disappear to uh, you know everywhere but um, you know the place in which they were born. Yeah, definitely. That's that's exactly right. So we we have really um, benefit from that. The other thing, you know, because of our diverse team, you know, the people's experience with COVID is really different. Like, I mean, I think, you know, clearly we all know New Zealand has been, um, you know, had a better experience than most. Um, but we have teams, you know, in like in, in Manchester and and Denver who've had had fully much, pretty much a year of um, working at home. So we've been really um, trying to be really thoughtful about what that means in terms of because it's it's hard, right? Like it's it's really challenging. And so how we support them through that kind of extended um, working from home experience? Because I think. You know, working from home during a pandemic is not the same as working from home, right? Like, there's a lot more, there's a lot more stress and pressure, and you know, sometimes kids are not at school that goes with it um, than just remote working. And so, you know, trying to work out how we support and we um, surprise and delight those teams during this period has been really important too to us. So how how have how have you done that? And how have you you know managed? Um, you know your teams during during this period. Certainly, uh, you know I think everyone has had to deal with a, a level of change. Um, you know sometimes those changes end up being you know a real positive uh, to the team. But you know there there are aspects that we lose right when we uh, have less of the the face face to face you know in person contact. Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's it's just this, you know as you said it's the key things that you focus on with could change anyway. It's um, leadership and being present with your teams and you know I, I for example I write a, a weekly email um, to the global team just to express you know to talk about different ideas and approaches and what we're seeing in the business and that's part of the strategy was trying to stay present and connect with the teams being really clear about what's important uh, as well that we want our people to put their well-being and their pressures of their family uh, first. That's the that that's you know seeing those priorities um, for our teams, and then I think you know just really investing in people leadership. Like um, you know it's a, it's a sizable team now. Um, you know, eighteen hundred people. We have people leading a lot of people leaders, and really investing in um, training them about how to do that well. That's I think it's probably the key amplification for a product and tech company is the way, you know, because it's so dependent on people's alignment and their motivation and their clarity about what's important. And so, you know, really investing in the people that lead the engineers and the product managers and so that they're really capable. I think I'd say, like, you know, I think leading a team that's distributed is like a level up harder challenge than leading a team that's right there 
in, in, in the same office as you. So kind of making sure that we really support those people leaders to do well and to grow and to kind of respond to the challenge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, I, I look at, um, you know, the marketing side of, of Zero. There's a lot of uh, video, there's audio content, you know, so you hit people from a lot of different directions. Are you, how are you using those sorts of tools internally? Um, you know, you talked about, you know, emailing your team. Um, you know, I know that there, there's, you know, a lot of sort of growing, um, you know, use of, of video and, and online learning uh, within uh, businesses, where whether it's external content or or internal, have you found some some tools and mechanisms to use um, voice and and video for um, you know part of bringing that alignment and communicating to to people using the the mechanisms that um, you know that they prefer? Yeah, no, definitely. So so I mean, I think um, yeah, we have, we have a big uh, big video culture internally and a big Slack culture as well and so I think you just you know you kind of you as a leader you have to go to where the people are and, and the way they want to consume um, information we we have and just before this we have a six weekly product and technology town hall which is uh, we do yeah, hangouts and record and share to everyone and that's a, a regular kind of um, a session that the that Anna Curzon who's the chief product officer and I host to speak to our teams and and engage with them um, and then there's like a global all hands of video based one with Steve our CEO as well so there's quite a lot of video I think with that that um, regular email that I do it's, it's, it's really a container for a whole lots of different content so you know um, the last six weeks it's been a series of video interviews with um, Pat Qua I don't know if you've encountered him he's a He's um, quite a quite a well-known technology leader. Wrote the book um, Evolutionary Architecture. So I did a series of interviews with him internally. We shared those videos. We're just trying to trying to mix it up. But yeah, as you said, like use use a whole set of different medium media. Actually, Zero is quite a um, there's a lot of communication in Zero, so you have to be try, quite thoughtful about the level of noise as well. Um, and so I think just trying to with me just for, for my. For my team, it's just the the regularity and repetitiveness, and the and the kind of relevance of that, and also being alive to people. You know, people are busy, so not short and to the point. It's really important as well. Yeah, thanks. That's uh, that's really interesting. Um, now, there's a few other aspects of you know of the business and 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 of what you have to do. I'm you know I'm curious to to explore. Uh, you know, there are, there are some things that come with um, come with with scale that um, you know change how you operate. That come with the incredible um, customer base. You you talked earlier about you know planning for a million users, um, which is just you know f- phenomenal for most you know for most uh, uh, businesses in the software space to to think of having that scale of customers and you know I looked online and you're past I think you know two million uh, paying customers so I'm, I'm sure that means a lot more than two million uh, users that are logging in and uh, and accessing the the zero platform on a regular basis um, what can you um, you know tell us about you know having the I guess the the, the high pressure that that kind of creates in terms of you know how you develop the software, uh, you know, keeping it really robust uh, as you go. Um, you know, you you don't want to break anything. You don't want customers losing confidence uh, in the in the platform. So that there's lots of uh, things to think about there. And of course, you have the pressure from you know customers that are you know 
prodding and, and you know pushing for new features. I think when we, when we chatted uh, yesterday, I, you know, I was mentioning my interest in a you know single sign-in uh, you know capability. Um, you know, you've got all of these demands where you know people are wanting wanting new things, and uh, all of that sort of puts some pressure on. How do you deal with all that and uh, and and get the best results that you can? Uh, yeah, no, great question. So, um, first start, maybe I'll start with uh, reliability kind of scaling challenges because it's really fascinating. And then we can talk about the bring you that sort of the balance of kind of prioritization and kind of um, and, and you know pressure on terms of balancing out delivery across sort of infrastructure, reliability improvement, and new features because it's a perennial challenge. And so, yeah, reliability and scaling the platform is kind of a constant. Um, constant challenge right it's uh it's a core feature reliability in a way you know in terms of being customer focused the ultimate feature right is that the service is available if it's not available then all that work and innovation put into product features doesn't really matter so we we it's not easy like i think one of the things we found hard after migrating onto aws originally is to to learn that platform and get back up to a high level of availability. And so at that time we invest in, in the site reliability engineering team. Um, and we've expanded that now to have a site reliability and a data reliability engineering team in there. It's, it's in about a 70 person team focused on um, practices and tooling and education about reliability. They also are responsible for the incident management process so when we have an outage and so they really they drive a lot of work around teaching our engineers how to build reliable code um, building tooling to um, ensure that we um, you know kind of surfacing service level objectives and data about incidents really well um, and and that's paid off um, quite considerably like we do have a constant um, program of work, a stream of work to have the next scaling bottleneck. And so that's just a just because we because we're adding so many customers, you customers you just constantly have to be working on the next bottleneck. And it could be a, a database that becomes a single point of failure. It could be it's all sorts of things. And so trying to keep ahead of that. Uh, we had a you know being being transparent, we had about six months ago, eight months ago we had a um, a wave of um, Identity exhaustion uh, risks. So that's when you know we use columns, integer columns. Uh, they can maximum they can contain is up to about 2.2 billion records. And so we started to see that we were getting on the horizon close to exhausting some of those columns, and that would be bad, right? Because the, <laughs> the application would stop working if that was a that that was um that was reached. So we had to you know that became a high risk, and we had to focus that stability stream of work on remediating that. So so that's it's actually really fascinating like the load we get which is kind of massive now problems the problems you get out of that are really interesting technical challenges one of the things i love about my job is that they are you know kind of really detailed and kind of intricate scale problems so that's that's um that's a big part of where we spend our time the kind of balance right um the balance between that kind of work um reliability security um Work against new features is a is a constant constant um, kind of um, dilemma in a way. Like I don't, we, I, I get to talk to lots of 
you know, the Microsofts, the AWS, the Facebook, the companies of the world about how they approach this. And it's always a interesting balance for them as well. And so trying to work out um, the right way to balance your investment is really tricky. And so what, what we aim to do, what we want to do over time is we have teams, teams of sort of around um, eight, eight people, cross-functional teams. Ultimately, we want them to have the right incentives you know, a reliability set of measures, security, and product feature measures. And we want them to make the decisions at their local level with the contacts they have about the software they're running um, to how to balance out the investment between new features and uh, new, you know, and maintain, maintenance. That kind of sweet spot of balancing, you know, how you fix old code and what you build new code is, is best done at a local level. Now we govern it overall and, and ensure that it's right balanced, but they, they are in the best place to make the informed decision. So we want to set them up as, you know, these cross-functional teams having the right incentives, the right capabilities to make those, those local decisions. Um, because it just leads to the best outcome. They have the context um, to make the right outcomes, and then we sort of we just govern it at a broader level. Um, I don't know. There's some companies say you know 20% on non-functional investment, 80% on new features. I find that stuff is never really works. Like it's 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 it, the problem is not that simple. It's it's there's sometimes when you have to lean hard on new product features because of the market opportunity. Um, others you have to lean harder on. Um, Repair, um, and it's better. It's just a best made at a smaller context than sort of the whole whole application state. Thanks. Um, another area that uh, Zero's talked about a bit, but maybe people aren't necessarily aware of of where it fits is artificial intelligence and, and machine learning. You know, we, we all have an interest, you know, I certainly do anyway, um, in how we make our lives uh, easier in our work days with this, particularly things like accounting, you know, the more lifting that the technology can do for us to, um, you know, take care of uh, maybe boring sort of repetitive tasks and so on, um, the better. Um, can you walk, walk us through where Zero is at uh, on that sort of journey and, and how you see that, uh, you know, playing out in in the accounting world? Yeah, no, definitely. And you know, I think people's expectations are just kind of being raised every day about that. You know, whether it's Google finishing your sentences or the conversations you can have with Alexa, I think it's just starting to permeate our lives. And accounting is a it's hard to overstate the opportunity in accounting with AI. Like it's just wherever you look in what we're doing, there's opportunity around AI. Um, and really kind of, I'll talk a bit about industrializing AI, like so doing it at scale, which is what we focus on. But I see it as three sort of broad buckets of opportunity, right? So the first is getting data into our software. Um, and this is where I think AI can pull heaps of manual labor out of um, the work people have to do today. So most small businesses, they operate in this world of um, email and PDFs. And so we've invested a lot in kind of automation of extracting information from documents and images and getting them into zero. So whether that's receipts, bills, bank statements. Um, we, we bought a company, HubDoc, um, a couple of years ago that was specialist in this and they helped us with that as well. But there's just there's a lot of opportunity for, further to streamline that process of getting data into apps. The second part of a of the kind of focus in AI was there is is the classification of information. So you have all this data come in, either a bank feed or um, extracted from a document. 
and you go match it with the records we have in um, have in zero, and that's to automatic bank reconciliation matching, or this whole set of other um, you know elements of that as well. That's a really AI is really good at that problem, and so that's uh, that's the second part of the stream of work we have on AI. The last part, and it's really the most interesting, is all the things you can do once you have the data properly classified in your platform and so then you can start um, doing what if analysis you can start projecting into the future you know you can do advanced cash flow forecasting you could you know there's sort of possibilities of business on autopilot where you set um, you know you set an outcome and the software helps guide you towards that whether it's selling your business or getting a loan um, you know a great scenario great great focus for us is cash flow management right because this is it's one of the key challenges for small business so we can look into the future and see um, potential cash flow problems coming and we can you know I recommend actions that the user can take like chasing overdue invoices etc to, to kind of resolve that problem and so I think that's where the software is going to go and, and it's just you know it's really exciting the work you can do in that space what we have to do to be able to realise that opportunity is kind of what I mentioned before and that's the real industrialization of AI and so you see the big big um, these big elite tech companies, the Facebooks, etc., um, of this world, have really built out, built out some infrastructure and some people capability to be able to do lots of this work quickly at scale. And I think sometimes people miss um, an important element of that. Often the conversation about AI focuses on algorithms and you know, like um, you know, the different types of machine learning. Um, most of the work, most of the focus in the space is actually in data engineering. It's the machinery you use to get the data um, in the right structure to engineer features and have it stored in the location and then to expose it to the software as an API. Actually, most of the effort goes into that and the algorithmic development and machine learning is actually a small um, proportion of that. So we've been investing really uh, leaning into investing in um, those data capabilities over the last, um, you know, sort of 18 months, two years or so to build out that platform so we can accelerate our work in AI. There's also, also talent is a major issue in this area. Like I, I read an article about talking about, uh, you know, graduates out of Stanford who actually had agents just like sports stars have because there's so much demand for them that they, you know, they have so many offers that they use agents to, to manage that. So we, 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 we're not going to be able to compete face, you know, directly with the likes of AWS and Facebook for those talents, but um, in the US market, but we, you know, we can be in different places and we can enable different um, types of working and stuff that can really engage those people. And we've done well in that space. We have really grown some great talent in Melbourne and Toronto in particular focused on AI and ML. So I think it would just be continue to be kind of our one of our primary uh, focuses um, for the you know for the next three to five years at least, um, probably longer. Thanks, Mark. That's um, that's fascinating, and uh, yeah, that that thought of having uh, having agents just as uh, you know sports superstars uh, do coming through college and so on. Yeah, that's kind of mind blowing. Probably not not something many people would have uh, uh, would have picked that was coming. Next up, I'm keen to understand a little bit about 
acquisitions and you know as uh, as tech businesses and you know I guess you know businesses get to a level of scale and a, a level of you know cash flow and, and access to funds um, it makes it easier to be able to uh, do acquisitions and I noticed just in the last uh, last few days actually uh, that there, there's been an acquisition uh, plan day sort of uh, over a quarter of a billion dollar uh, investment by by the looks of it uh, you were, were talking a little bit about uh, cash flow um, earlier and I saw uh, an acquisition of a company I think out of Australia uh, called Waddle um, can you share a little bit about that uh, that process of um, you know acquiring versus uh, you know creating um, you know, new new things in house and um, and how that looks from your perspective? Because I, I imagine it brings with it you know a bunch of a bunch of benefits when you know somebody's worked stuff out and put a team together and, and got it to a sort of certain level, but also there would be challenges with bringing bringing on you know those businesses too. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the way the way we think about it, we um, you know we, we clearly um, like like all companies do. We have a really a really clear strategy, product strategy, and, and company strategy about the the work we want to do and the things we want to get uh, we get done. So we start with that, and then we look at the balance of the ways you know the ways to achieve those strategic objectives. Do we? Do we build it ourselves? Do we partner? Um, we do quite a bit of partnering, like payroll in the US with Gusto, or do, or do we purchase a company? And, um, you know, like our primary mechanism um, has been and will be you know, using our own FTEs to build software for our customers. That's a, that's a key to our success. But there are, um, there are opportunities to accelerate our strategy sometimes by buying a company, and that's... Um, that's something we've done more of as we've grown, as you highlighted, and so um, it's something that we, are, you know, we've kind of um, developed our opinion about the best way to do over the over the last while. And it it is interesting because, it, as you said, it's not a kind of uh, a free free lunch kind of thing. Like, it's, there's a lot of work and thought that goes have to go into thinking about those those acquisitions and and how you integrate them, how you set them up to succeed as well. Very interesting from a tech perspective, because I think I've, my thinking has evolved on that quite considerably. Um, You know, you start off by, you know, I do so much work. We do so much work on focusing on driving consistency and standardization in the way we use technology because we think that's important to us being fast and succeeding and then when you go and look at companies they're all different from you right they're all different different um, cloud platforms different database platforms different front-end technology just of course they are of course they're varied and and different people have different approaches and different technologies that um the trend of the day and so that you know like to you you can't you're never going to find something that is the same as you and um so then you just have to think about technology diversity. You know what, 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 what matters here? Like, um, how, how, how much diversity is okay? And you know, and, and I think it varies from target to target. Like, you know, like um, Plan Day, we announced recently that's uh, um, a .NET-based um, application running on Microsoft Azure, where we're primarily a .NET application running on AWS. And you go, well, how do we think of that? migrating them or do we need to migrate them because 
having them, having the whole application stay the same has its benefits. But I think with a company like Plan Day at a scale of it, we think they and they're very capable technically. So we think they um, have more than enough capability to kind of carry um, the obligation of making stuff work on Azure of their own, rather than us having to you know tightly align them with us. But when we smart by small, think about smaller assets potentially. Maybe in those cases we'll want them to. We'll have to move them across to our standard platform because sometimes there's, you know, the ten-person teams and you know the regulatory obligations and the standards we set for ourselves are difficult for them to carry. So there's potentially different um, approaches for different size assets. Um, but you know, you, it's really, um, it's re- some of these um, companies are the ones we bought are really great and they've really added to our culture as well. Um, you know, in the um, the plan day team. And the Waddle team are both. They got some really great talent, and it's a real. It's really added to the vibrancy of the engineering culture. So it's been quite positive in that sense. Thanks, Mark. Um, yeah, it's good. Just good to get that viewpoint because I think you know we see all of these things happening. But um, you know, certainly for myself, I'm not. I'm not that close to the the reality of, of what goes on. And look, I think some of the things that we've talked about here today would could easily be a podcast in their own right. Um, and I'm hoping we might be able to you know twist your arm to uh, uh, you know to, to to come back on and join us for um, you know more more of these in the future if we can find some time in your in your schedule. Um, but we do have uh, we have some folks that have joined us on stage and would like to ask some of their own questions. So if you're up for that, we'll um, we've got a, a little bit of time left. Then we'll we'll go to uh, the audience. All right, over to uh, to Cam first up. My name is uh, Cameron McCarthy, and I um, I'm actually a, a youth pastor in, in Auckland, um, but been involved in kind of the startup um, space quite a lot, and I've got. I've, a few uh, friends in the tech space and just been like I'm fascinated by entrepreneurship and um, and this so yeah it's been an awesome opportunity to listen to, to you Mark and um, hear your insights around um, around it all and yeah no it's been it's been brilliant Mark I was just wondering uh, obviously New Zealand um, has had a pretty um, awesome example in the global tech space uh, with Zero and um, companies like that and I was, I was just curious to see What's your dream for New Zealand as a nation in the tech space that we have um, here, the growth, um, and I guess opportunity on a global market? What do you see in the New Zealand market um, being able to take global? Is there any up-and-comers that you uh, have your eyes on here here onshore in New Zealand? Hey, thanks, Cam. That's a great question. Yeah, and like I think um, we hope, um, and I know you know um, you probably heard Rod um, speak about this himself. That you know, hope that Zero kind of has paved the way for other you know entrepreneurs in New Zealand to um, to follow um, his example. And so I think, I mean, like the tech sector is such a great opportunity for New Zealand. You know, like it's um, that weightless economy. You know, the tyranny of being a long way away from big markets. Is really we can really overcome that with um, with technology, especially you know especially with cloud and these um, these big platforms, which means you can the barrier to hosting software in in Europe or in, in the US is, is really as low as it possibly be, and so I think a combination of being able to overcome that barrier, um, you know, a really well educated, capable kind of um, 
entrepreneurial spirit in New Zealand is um, means that we, we should do more than we are, right? Like in terms of um, more more tech companies, and, and we we try and engage um, in the market. Um, you know, lots of interns and graduates, and try and connect with the universities and uh, where we are to kind of support those and. Um, and encourage it um, to grow, and so I mean, always, always kind of open to and looking for opportunities um, to um, to come out of that. I mean, I mean, the first example that comes to my head is you know, Sharesies is a great example of a bunch of ex zeros. Not all of the founders were from zero, but you know, a bunch of the key key people from there, zeros who got some experience with product and development, and were able to kind of you know connect up with people that, um, that, that from other spheres to build a great growing company so that's it's a really excellent story and I think that helps because one one of the challenges we find is that you know there aren't that many um, startups in New Zealand and there aren't that many companies that you know do you know kind of contemporary product development or engineering so I think one of the indirect benefits of zero is kind of growing that cohort of people who know how to do that well and so I think that will naturally lead to a more kind of more companies and product companies in that space in New Zealand Thanks Mark um, Sal did you have uh, something there to uh, to ask or to contribute Well uh, I'm Sal Caritas I'm with uh, the founder and CEO of SaaS we happen to be in the identity and access management space and our solutions include uh, password management, multi-factor authentication and uh, a number of other things to do with access management and uh, I, I've uh, always been fascinated with what's going on in, in New Zealand, including everything to do with America's Cup. I mean, just like Peter Jackson put New Zealand on the map uh, when it comes to uh, uh, film and, and media and all that stuff, you guys definitely put uh, New Zealand on the map when it comes to tech. But what were your biggest difficulties when you guys launched? Uh, and and Because uh, I assume no, no, most of your customers, at least in North America, had never heard of a, uh, uh, a, a company based out of New Zealand. How did you overcome those challenges? And then uh, how did you overcome challenging challenges as well when it came to investors? Yeah, I think I wasn't, um, I wasn't at zero right at the start, like the first, you know, like the first five or so years so I can only um, speak to you a little bit second hand about my experience with that but I know you know like um, I know there was a lot of um, you know uh, Rod kind of personally and his you know, his charisma and kind of a lot of you know kind of almost <laughs> hand to hand combat and you know kind of you know, getting stuck in, you know, talking to accounting practices and, you know, kind of uh, lots of talking to customers and roadshows and connection um, early on to kind of get the, the product out there. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're an exception in terms of tech companies and most of them are founded in different, in the US and, and you know, um, could go from the US to the rest of the world where it sort of um, started in Wellington, New Zealand and going into the US. So there's a whole set of challenges um, around that I mean your your role talks to you about choices to go to Australia and to the UK early and how much they've paid off which is true of um, listing early which um, you know gives a whole a way to access capital um, which I think has really um, proved well for zero I think um, you know moving to the ASX from New Zealand as well has really has really been advantageous to um, to uh, zero and and, the, and in the US like it's you're right like it's um, it's such a big market that um, 
kind of uh, we're working hard to grow brand awareness and and um, and scale as time goes by. But it's that's that's a difficult place to to you know to do that because there's the companies and the scale of things are so large there. But you know, continue to make good progress in that. Thanks, Mark. Um, yeah, there's some interesting uh, insights there, and yeah, maybe it's uh, it, it's time to uh, to have Rod on another show um, or something with with Steve or Steve and Rod. So we might uh, we might investigate uh, uh, a little a little bit of that in the future too. Um, and thanks for the question, uh, Sal and Cam, for your question. Um, across to Mark Birch now. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Paul, for uh, calling me up. My name is Mark Birch. I'm a startup advocate for AWS covering Asia Pacific. Previously to that, I was at Stack Overflow and always fascinated with what's going on in startup communities and and tech communities all throughout uh, Asia Pacific and especially interested to hear what's going on at Zero and hearing Mark's thoughts on tech leadership. I'm at AWS as a startup advocate and hopefully you can indulge me with two questions. But uh, the, the first I want to ask about is, as you've been part of Zero for quite a number of years, how did you think about or did you think about how to shape the engineering culture to encourage learning and to encourage uh, ownership and the ability to manage as the organization scaled and, and grew out. So I'd just love to hear kind of your, your leadership principles around how you manage that growth. Yeah, I mean, um, something I spend a lot of time on is um, our engineering culture because I think it's a key as you, as you kind of your question indicates, it's a key aspect of us succeeding is the that strong, vibrant kind of engineering culture, with that sort of um, you know the the open mindedness approach to failure. I thought I talked a bit about Paul and one of Paul's questions about how you know, building product and uh, building software is a hard game. It's a complex systems. You don't get it uh, right every time. You need to sort of build in this approach that you will try something and learn from it and change. And so that for that to work, you kind of have to be really open to things not working out. And you can't, you know, you can't have, um, you have to move away from a blame culture. Um, that's a thing you have to drive um, from leadership. Um, I think you have to understand there are different types of failure as well. And, and then there's different response to those. But that's something I like when I, um, message my team I talk about a bit that we you know this attitude of learning from mistakes that we kind of try and um, make sure that we're not only calling out successes but we're calling out brave experiments that have learned um, something um, and maybe not worked out as we planned as well and so yeah just trying to um, trying to make that as part of the culture I think we've kind of um, invested a lot in sort of senior engineering Group we call it Alf Engineering Leadership Forum, um, who's um, who are really kind of capable and senior engineering leaders who set the standard um, in terms of engineering. We do a lot of work on clarity and consistency in our engineering team and pathways for teams to develop, um, and you know, and things like opening, making sure there's a clear pathway for people who don't want to lead um, people, you know, in, in technical realms and helping them develop. And so I think it's a it's a whole sort of uh, kind of varied problem to solve training education standards you know those kind of principles that you mentioned um, all sort of add up to culture um, and Steve actually our CEO is a big champion of that like so he's a big champion of culture and um, of 
leadership clearly, but also um, a big um, advocate for our engineering team as well. And making sure that we, as I kind of mentioned, we're balancing that product investment um, against uh, sort of the work of maintaining and respecting our technology so it serves as well. Thanks, Mark. Um, I was wondering if you could do a, a little bit of a wrap-up with any any final comments you've got, or if you've got a, a couple more minutes. I, I know uh, Mark Birch did mention maybe a second, uh, another question, so I'm not sure if we've got time for that. Um, what are your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with the second question, there. Okay. Have you another question, Mark Birch? Yes, it was just a, a follow-up from the first question on culture. and Just you know, are there mechanisms, communication tools, and such that you have used that you found effective to to help keep people connected and engaged in their work and to enable work to flow smoothly? Yeah, that's a great question, uh, Mark. We, um, now we use a lot of different tools, I think, and it's, it's kind of interesting. It's, it's um, changed a wee bit with COVID, but, I mean, the Xero organization is kind of, it runs on Slack. I think we have 90% of our start, staff using Slack every week, I think 85% every day. So it's a, it's a kind of lifeblood of the company um, working together. And then, uh, you know, we, we use um, the Atlassian toolset for managing work in our product and engineering teams. And so that's, that's really, um, really important and key to, to how we work. Um, I think, you know, like with the remote working, we've had a lot of, um, you know, increase in the tools like Miro. It's a sort of kind of collaborative whiteboarding uh, solution that's become a key. Just there's a lot of um, rituals in product development. The teams, you know, standing around a whiteboard and kind of um, collaborating and solving problems and dragging post-it notes, and you know that's 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 so essential for the health of teams. And I think Miro is a pretty good digital equivalent of it. I personally I've seen too many Miro boards in the last while, but but it is um, it's a kind of uh, it's a good it's a good um, digitization of that kind of um, whiteboard um, post-it note solution. So that's that's pretty key to um, our way of working. And I think it's just like Paul mentioned, it's like it's it's video and um, some audio and. And, and a bunch of um, written text as well. Just you know, being present, communicating to, to, to all our teams regularly, and trying to stay connected. Um, you know, with teams all spread around the world. I think you know, like we um, we're sort of moving past the point that we're you know the you know the, the, the Wellington and New Zealand time zone is the centre of the world. So like just being getting into being a multinational company and having to be really thoughtful about um, you know time zone management and stuff like that is a big part of where we are too right like you have teams in the UK and they can unless you're aware of it they can end and end up working you know some horrible hours so trying to trying to mix it and balance it out between the time zones in terms of who who you know does the 8pm calls and stuff and make sure it's not always the smaller offices but it's also the you know the kind of bigger offices as well that's that's something we've been thinking about a lot Thanks, Mark. If we have time, I'd like to ask another question, but... Yeah, that's fine. So, Mark, uh, you guys are about 3,000 employees. When do you think you might start to hit limiting factors in terms of growing your employee base uh, based on the, the, the talent pool that's available in New Zealand? What's the number? I think we sort of, uh, you know, sort of we... we Actually, already had that. I think we're we're still growing in New Zealand, Wellington, Auckland, definitely. Uh, but we have a really large Australian team now, and so that's 
you know, kind of, I think 600 people, something, something approximately like that. And then, you know, teams in the UK and, and the US. So we're actually well past that, I think, in terms of um, New Zealand. But I mean, it's a, it's a tough, hiring, hiring people is, and tech people is a tough, um, tough job. So we're kind of always looking at different ways to do that. And I think, um, you know, one thing I sort of foreshadowed a boy bit with the COVID discussion is actually, I think we're gonna, you know, really lean hard on remote teams and um, the opportunity of people just to work from where they are or where they want to live. I think we've, you know, discovered with COVID, I don't think it's a breakthrough because plenty of companies do that, but actually it works really well and there's some real benefit from it. So I think that will that will kind of unlock talent. You know, there's a, we have a team in uh, office in Hawke's Bay, the um, Rod Champion, which has been really successful. So um, I think there's no reason why we can't have people spread out throughout New Zealand and Australia working from different locations. Um, that's you know that that's that's gone really well, and, and we will we will I think we will embrace that over time. Thanks for commenting on that, Mark. It's much appreciated. Did you have any sort of closing comments you'd like to share? Um, I know there is so much more we could we could delve into, and, and some of these topics I would love to have gone into a little bit more depth. So um, yeah, I am hoping we'll be able to find a, a time to uh, to get you back in the future. There's I'd be been, happy to do that, Paul. Oh, thanks, Mark. There's, I mean, there's just been so much in there that I, I think lots, lots of takeaways. And, you know, of course, that will be different, um, you know, from listener to listener in terms of, uh, you know, what they've got out of it. But, yeah, I think, you know, Zero has been absolutely, fan, you know, fantastic, uh, you know, for, for New Zealand and, you know, the innovation and, and tech ecosystems here. Of course, we cross it now, you know, Zero crosses now into, into so many different, you know, countries in terms of, you know, where people are located, where customers are located. But were there any other things that uh, that you just wanted to uh, add before we wrap this one up, Mark? Oh, I just want to say thanks, Paul, for the, the great questions and, and to Karen and Sol and Mark. I really I really enjoyed this conversation and, and you know and my first foray into Clubhouse as well. So that's um, that's been great. And just I thought the last time my team wouldn't forgive me if I didn't remind all the people listening that you know we are sort of actually hiring in New Zealand and Australia. So there's some great jobs that you can see on the careers site on zero.com. That's probably the last thing. So always looking for great talent. But thank you to you, Paul. It's been really good. Oh, fantastic! No, it's it's been an absolute uh, pleasure. Um, you know, a real privilege to have you on the show and to just you know gain gain some um, some of those insights and uh, and and learnings. And I look look forward to uh, delving in a bit further on another episode. Thanks everybody for uh, for joining us. And uh, yeah, we'll look forward to uh, catching you again soon. Thanks again, Mark, and uh, and to the the Zero team for uh, uh, sharing a little bit of you with us today. Cheers. Thank you, Paul. All right. Cheers. Thanks, everyone. A special thank you to our partners who make the New Zealand Tech Podcast possible and are proud supporters of the tech and innovation ecosystems here in New Zealand. They are Umbrella Connect, Vocus, Vodafone, Spark, HP, and Gorilla Technology. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us for this episode of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Noting that this episode was recorded on the new social audio platform clubhouse Uh, if you'd like to keep up with some of the podcasts and live content i'm producing on that platform then certainly feel free to look out and follow me paul spain on clubhouse and you'll also find mark rees on the platform if you'd like to follow him all right thanks everyone we'll catch you on the next episode see ya New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community. Proudly supported by Umbrella Connect.